0: The following program discusses medical information that is general in nature and not intended to serve as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues you may be experiencing. Welcome to the latest edition of Nice Living with Dr. Cameron, a podcast dedicated to shedding light on health and wellness topics. If you've been along for the ride so far, you know our first few episodes have been focused on vein disease specifically. We've been leveraging the expertise and knowledge of our show's host and namesake, Vascular surgeon and industry pioneer, Dr. Cameron Goddarzi of Scarless Vein Care. In this episode, we're switching things up a little by featuring a very special guest who's going to talk to us about the connection between vein disease and dermatology. Also shed some light on the importance of skin cancer screenings, just how critical these are to make sure you're not skipping out on those. He's a good friend of Dr. Cameron, board certified dermatologist, Dr. Jonathan Crane. He has a practice based in Wilmington, North Carolina called Atlantic Dermatology and Dr. Crane practices general surgical and cosmetic dermatology. He is quite a pioneer in utilizing innovative laser treatments. Dr. Crane is a fellow of the American Academy of Dermatology and the American Osteopathic College of Dermatology. He's published more than 100 research articles in the field of dermatology And as a known expert, he has served as the principal investigator on many of them. As the program director at Samson Regional Medical Center for Dermatology's residency program, that's in conjunction with Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine, he is helping train the brilliant minds of tomorrow as the dermatology co-course director. Dr. Crane, it's an honor to have you on the program. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me here. I'm honored to be here.
0: And I know you and Dr. Cameron are actually great friends as well.
1: We've been friends for years, probably close to 30 years or so.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. Now, Dr. Crane, before we dive into today's topics, can you tell us just a little bit more about your background and your specialties?
1: Sure. Dermatology was about 30 years ago that I entered into my dermatology residency and completed it back in 1994, became board certified that year. And I've been doing dermatology ever since. And it, it's interesting because dermatology has evolved over the past 30 years or so. Lasers came about and lasers are terrific. We use them for skin tightening. We use them to get rid of blood vessels on, on the skin, on the surface. We use them for psoriasis, all sorts of different things, tattoo removal. And it, it's interesting. So we're really using it mostly from the outside. where at Dr. Cameron to get rid of bad veins that are causing problems he's using the lasers from the inside so all of this we've you know sort of grown up together in the laser world and that's been terrific surgically uh we've been doing surgery for all these years and for me i can find it to the skin pretty much so taking out lots of skin cancers cosmetics has evolved along the way uh botox came out probably 20 years ago or so uh just off the top of my head started doing botox started doing fillers and more and more skin tightening treatments so the whole cosmetics of dermatology has evolved medicine's a process and as you go along you you really learn a lot and what my mentors taught me you use as building blocks And then you just move forward from there. And now as a program director, it's really neat because I teach medical school students. And then also with the dermatology residency, I have six residents. So basically they do an internship and then it's three years of dermatology training and I have two per year. And then at the end of three years with me, they graduate. And when I say me, it's it's again, a team. We have other physicians who participate in it. And I have some residents that have spent time with Dr. Cameron, which has really been outstanding because we really cross over. In dermatology, we see a tremendous amount of venous disease. And it's nice to be able to recognize it, first of all, and then secondly, refer to Dr. Cameron.
0: You know, it's fascinating to see that overlap that you point out between those two specialties. Of course, we know body systems work together, but, you know, taking a look at dermatology and vein disease or vascular treatments, you know, I think that's likely not something many individuals would connect. I think it's equally fascinating, you know, talking about the evolution of those treatment modalities how procedures, of course, these days are far less invasive. You mentioned the usage of lasers in dermatology, just like with varicose vein treatment. And now, you know, quite simply, the majority of these treatments in both specialties are performed in the office setting. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and and how these treatments can often go hand in hand?
1: It's true. Uh, We we do a tremendous amount in the office, remove probably close to 100 skin cancers a week between myself and some of the dermatologists in the office uh, that we work with together. It's interesting because years ago, one of my mentors uh, said the rule of the artery is supreme, meaning at the time that if you don't have good blood flow going into an area, it's never going to heal. So if you go ahead and cut a skin cancer off someone's foot and there's no blood supply to it, it's really not going to heal up well. At the time, he said the rule of the artery is supreme, but in reality, blood's going there, but if it doesn't come back, which is the job of the veins, then you're in in just as much trouble as if you have arterial problems. So it, it is an interesting concept. And I guess as time has gone on, I've really learned that Crucial to have arterial blood supply going to an area, and it's crucial to have good venous return so that the blood coming out of the area. And if you have good circulation, then you could remove skin cancers on the feet. You could remove skin cancers from the lower legs. You could do a lot of different things. But if you don't have the blood supply, it isn't going to work well. And working with Dr. Cameron through the years and referring him many patients, I've I've really learned that, and also I've seen that someone has a leg ulcer and it's not healing, well, I have to question, how's the circulation to the area? And that's where sending patients to Dr. Cameron's been extremely helpful. He'll do arterial and venous ultrasounds. And with these ultrasounds, we're able to assess the circulation. And sometimes we'll even see a skin cancer in someone's leg. And knowing that if I go ahead and cut it off right away, this is never going to heal. I'm just going to be in for a disaster. I'll send the patient to Dr. Cameron he'll go ahead and repair the veins and then I'll get it back and we'll cut out the skin cancer. Or if it's a more urgent skin cancer, like a melanoma, we have to cut out the melanoma. But at least going into it up front, we realize that we're going to be working with a situation that's not going to have good healing. And we got Dr. Cameron on board real early with it so that he could be treating the vein disease simultaneously or right after we cut out the melanoma, he's jumping right in and taking care of the vein disease. And we're really getting much, much better outcomes by working as a team, especially when it comes to lower legs and lower leg healing.
0: Oh, that makes sense. You know, making sure the grounds are fertile, so to speak, to ensure that optimal healing is able to take place. Now, I'm curious, for folks who've had vein treatment, do you see a slower disease progression with issues, you know, even cancer in the lower extremities?
1: I can't really say I've, I've seen less disease progression with cancer per se, but what we do see is a lot of other disease that comes along with it. Patients come in with restless leg syndrome, and that's clearly linked to venous disease. Patients complain of cramping in the legs, cramping at night, and that's clearly linked to it. You see patients come in with swelling. And then if they do have a skin cancer, knowing that it's going to have a lot more difficult time healing. So we definitely pay attention to it. You could also see where patients come in with rashes because of poor circulation. Patients come in with ulcers because of poor circulation. So venous disease is very strongly linked to a lot of skin disease.
0: So from your perspective, it's kind of a, a, a triage treatment you know, when folks come to see you, but really they've got to get to the core root
1: cause of the problem. Definitely, definitely.
0: Now, it's my understanding that uh, you, of course, you know, are a physician yourself, but you've been a patient as well when it comes to uh, vein disease. Is that correct?
1: I have. And actually, I started where my legs were aching a lot more. They were feeling heavy. I was having a little bit of fluid in my legs. When I get home at the end of the day and take my socks off, you could see an indentation where the socks went up to because it would help control the swelling below it. But then above it, all of a sudden, you'd have swelling. So you'd see that line around there. And between the heaviness in my legs, occasional cramping, the edema or swelling in the legs, I figured, you know, I'm early 50s and already running into this problem. And I'm thinking, what's life going to be like in the future? I was even having some knee pain. So I caught up with Dr. Cameron and I said, hey, could I get in for an ultrasound and see what you think? So he assessed me. They did an ultrasound. They found that my greater and lesser saphenous veins, which are the main superficial veins in the legs, had basically enlarged and also had valves which really weren't functioning properly. So blood was able to go up like it should, but then also it was swishing back down, which it shouldn't be doing. And this reflux of blood where it's going in the wrong direction causes pooling of blood in the lower legs, causes the swelling, causes, if you scrape it, it doesn't heal as quick. So mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Cameron found out and, and saw what was going on with my legs and the ultrasound, you could see it clear as day. He went ahead and with a laser fixed my legs. And it, it was terrific how well it worked. For me personally, I mean, I hopped off the table and I was feeling better already with it. And it, was, incredible. it was amazing that it's that quick. But the circulation, um, if you shut off the areas where the blood is just refluxing back and forth and not returning, it shut off immediately, like mm-hmm. turning off a, a garden hose that's leaking. And by shutting it off immediately, I noticed an improvement right away he took care of my four main veins and we could have spent more time going on to other superficial veins, but at that point my problem was corrected and the swelling went away my knees that were giving me a little bit of grief, which in general, the the knees aren't linked to vein disease. So if you look in the literature, you may not see much there, but they started feeling dramatically better at that point. And it it makes sense because if you have good circulation or you improve your circulation, whatever problems you have going on in in the lower legs or your legs in general, it's going to help correct Mm -hmm. it.
0: Oh, wow. That link makes sense. And of course, we know things like chronic inflammation, of course, you know better blood supply can help with kind of cleaning the inflammation out.
1: And the other thing I was wondering at some point if I was going to end up going for a knee replacement and uh, just having that in the back of my mind, I wanted the best circulation possible in my legs before I go for any surgical procedures, just like I do with my patients whenever we're able to. You can't always sometimes... You have to cut the cancer out and then deal with it. But at least I thought if I could do something in advance to improve my circulation, might as well. Oh,
0: absolutely. And you know, that's a topic Dr. Cameron has spoken about extensively in previous episodes. You know, with women who might need a hysterectomy or individuals needing a hip replacement, you want to make sure that you're in the best shape possible to heal from these surgeries. And of course, having that adequate blood supply is going to enhance those efforts well, Dr. Crane, I've got another question for you, if you don't mind, regarding vein treatment and your personal experience. I'm curious, from both a patient perspective and a physician perspective, were there any unexpected outcomes or discoveries you found after having vein treatment?
1: Walking, I used to get tired uh, when I'd go for a, a walk, and it, it was interesting. Even at one point, if I'm going to the supermarket or something along those lines, I'd park as close up as I possibly could and my wife is just the opposite where she parks as far away as you can so she gets to walk a little bit more and at times I was like uh you know how come you're making me walk so much here <laughs> so um <laughs> after the veins were fixed I really didn't mind walking at all and uh, we went to Vegas maybe it was a couple months later and we were walking all over the place I mean literally full days of just walking because I, I like walking the strip and watching people. So it was interesting and it didn't bother me where I know if it was before I had the veins done, it would have been a problem.
0: Well, what an incredible testimony to the impacts, both big and small, that vein treatment could have. You know, that's just great. Well, shifting gears a little bit now, we're going to be bringing Dr. Cameron into the conversation who has some questions for you regarding dermatology. But before we do that, let's broach a very timely topic. We're currently living in the era of the coronavirus. Of course it's had a major impact on society in terms of, you know, people just not going out quite as much as they used to, uh, all in efforts to slow and stop the spread of the virus, but you know, individuals should not be putting off their regular checkups, their regular medical checkups while they are, you know, limiting their time out and everything like that. And when it comes to dermatological care, it's not just a cosmetic thing. There are so many things out there that just can't wait and uh, you've been able to safely open your office to make sure your patients have access to diagnosis, necessary treatment and care, if that's the direction things need to go. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the importance of skin cancer screenings and just checkups in general?
1: Sure, Um, every week we're diagnosing melanomas. I mean, some weeks it could be five melanomas, other weeks it could be 10 melanomas, and these are potentially deadly skin cancers. So if you catch them early, no big deal. If you catch them late, they're deadly. And it's often a fine line and it could be a matter of three months, six months, a a year. So I guess the biggest uh, point is these skin cancer screenings, which patients come in on a yearly basis, crucial because you don't wanna miss these melanomas. You wanna catch them early, you wanna treat them, and be done with them. Bottom line is everybody on a yearly basis should see their dermatologist, get a skin cancer screening from head to toe, and then on a monthly basis, everyone should be looking themselves over from head to toe, and if you have any moles that are asymmetrical, meaning one half looks different than the other, jagged borders, several colors, larger than a pencil eraser, or evolving or changing in any which way, then you should definitely see your dermatologist about that. And we call that the ABCDEs of skin cancer screening. A for asymmetry, B for jagged borders, C for several colors, D for diameter, larger than a pencil eraser, and E for evolving or changing. So everyone should be doing their monthly home checks where they can't see, get a spouse to look, and then on a yearly basis, see your dermatologist. And during the coronavirus outbreak, it didn't slow down the amount of skin cancers that we saw. And if if anything, the amount of skin cancers that we were treating dramatically increased. It seems like some dermatologists closed down for a time period during the coronavirus, and we stayed open during this time period. We did it in a safe manner. We have screening before people come in with questions, we do temperature checks, we limit the amount of patients in the office, we have people cleaning at all times. So so we do all these safety precautions to minimize the risk. And there's a risk to everything in life, but we do everything we can to minimize that risk. But if you look at the benefit of coming in and catching a melanoma early, that's huge. So if I was to say how many lives have we saved during this time period, well into the hundreds of patients. How many patients would come in and catch coronavirus on the way into the office or in the office? We don't know of anyone that's caught it in the office at all. And if you said on the way into the office, if they're in their car, it's probably a pretty low risk that they're going to you know, catch it or, or almost non-existent if they're driving by themselves in a car. So really, the, the risk is very low. The rewards are very high, and the amount of people that we're able to save is crucial. So
0: that's a that's a very important message, uh, Dr. Crane. I, I think that's one that a, a lot of folks, you know, still need to keep in mind. That you know, still got to keep up with these regular screenings. They're very important. They literally save lives. So thank you so much for for sharing that with us too. Now, as we mentioned, of course, Dr. Cameron Gadarzi, our our show's host and namesake, he and you, Dr. Crane, are are very good friends. And Dr. Cameron, we want to bring you into the conversation here. You've worked with Dr. Crane, you know, referring patients back and forth to each other. Are there any, you know, kind of burning questions you've always wanted to ask your friend to get his perspective on on things as well from a dermatological perspective?
2: (laughs) Absolutely, first of all, I'm totally honored that. uh, Jonathan accepted to come and do this podcast uh, with us because he's an amazing uh, physician, very knowledgeable. I know how busy he is. In fact, today he's going to go and uh, work with the residents tonight. He was kind enough to come here and do this podcast with us. We live in North Carolina, of course, and the whole stayed pretty much shut down, and we had patients who had melanoma, and melanoma is a very deadly disease. It's not like the other skin cancers. Advanced melanomas are dangerous. And they had biopsies done by their dermatologist, told that it is melanoma. Then when they went back to have the cancer cut out, uh, their office was closed and they were told they, they weren't sure when it was going to open up. So we had, imagine if you've got a skin cancer and you're going to home at night, uh, your whole family knows about it, and, and you don't know when you're going to get the treatment. And that is really scary. And uh, Dr. Crane was so kind to open his office and uh, to these patients. And I believe uh, somebody from New Jersey even came down here to see you because they couldn't find anybody to take the melanoma out. Right, like that. that's correct. And that, that to me tells me, you know, I mean, we are we are physicians and everything, uh, especially as a surgeon, I, I can tell you every decision I make is a risk-benefit factor. Uh, it is fine to lock yourself in, but, you know, we already know that certain cancers like melanoma, skin cancers, even people who are not having their coronoscopies done – in a timely fashion because they're worried uh, they, they're having chest pain, about to have a heart attack. They don't go to the hospital because they're scared of coronavirus. And uh, I think some of it probably because of this political environment we're in. They are uh, scaring uh, people to go and have themselves checked. And it's, to me, it is really unfair because I think lives are potentially lost and uh, cancers, which were potentially curable, are not getting cured. So uh, yeah, I'm very thankful that um, uh, people like you know, physicians like that, the crane, are around willing to take the risk and open their office. And it is, believe me, it's, it's, it's quite costly with all the regulations going on. You know, you have to buy extra gloves. You have to sterilize everything. You can only see so many patients an hour. Um, so it, it is wonderful that uh, that he's, he's, he's doing this. But I was... Sitting here and just listening to how, how much credit he was giving me for everything, but first of all, it's the technology and, and not not myself. But the second thing was, I really wanted to use this opportunity that is to really drill him about uh, skin cancers because you know we all know skin cancers are dangerous, but we don't know when do you go for a checkup. Uh, you know when? How do you approach this? Do you go to your internal medicine doctor, your family practitioner, or do you call a dermatologist? And mean, know dermatologists are extremely busy it's very hard to get to see them my actually first question would be number one how, how does one find a dermatologist and uh, do you need referral do you can you know make it directly a phone call and also at what stage do you start getting your checkups uh, when you're 12 13 18 20 when you live in a in an area like a sun belt where we live where there is a very high incidence of you know skin cancer just because of the radiation we get? And and what kind of protection should you you know get when, when you go on the beach? And how much time do you spend on the beach? I really like to pick uh, his brain here and, and just let us uh, all get educated about uh, one of the commonest cancers, which is basically skin cancers. And you know in, in his opinion, and uh, not what the textbooks say, but <laughs> in his
1: opinion, what age and, and how we should approach our, our screening? Sure. Those are great questions. First of all, sun exposure is probably the number one cause of skin cancer. So, if someone has a tremendous amount of sun exposure, then they're going to be at much much higher risk. If someone has minimal sun exposure, minimal sunburns, they're going to be at lower risk. Um so assessing your risk is is one factor. If you say at what age we've seen melanomas as early as 12 years of age. So that's fairly scary. So, I'd say Initially talking with the pediatrician at a young age, five, six, um, mom should be saying, is it time to see a dermatologist yet? When should we start doing the complete skin checks? By the time you've hit about 13, 14, probably a good idea to see a dermatologist at that point, see where you are on the spectrum as far as risk, and then they might say come back in three years, five years, or maybe they'll say get in the habit of looking yourselves over from head to toe and teach young kids how to do their complete skin checks And then mom and dad also to get their kids in the habit of doing skin checks. It's a good habit to be in. Most women, once they pass a certain age, they're in the habit of doing breast self exams. Skin checks, same sort of thing. You wanna get in that habit. And then as you get in the habit of the skin cancer checks where you're looking yourself over from head to toe, where you're seeing a dermatologist on a yearly basis, you start thinking, hey, how high a skin cancer risk do I wanna bring upon myself? And when you go out to the beach, you start thinking, do I want to go to the beach? Do I want to go to the beach and cover up with a hat? Do I want to bring an umbrella with me? And you start saying, maybe I want to minimize my risk. And obviously, I'd say when you go out to the beach, you want to use good sunscreen, at least the 30, preferably something with zinc or titanium as the main ingredient because those are physical blockers and they do a great job on ultraviolet A as well as ultraviolet B rays and you put on your sunscreen, you cover up well, you do the best you can and you start to minimize risk as much as you can. I'm not saying don't go to the beach because beach definitely is elevating your skin cancer risk, but just do it in a smart way by using the sunscreen and by following up with a dermatologist. If you're fair skin, you're going to be at higher risk for skin cancer. If you're blue-eyed, you're going to be at higher risk for skin cancer. So At least by starting to go on a yearly basis, you start to evaluate your risk and you start to determine how much you want to lower your risk by. And then when you're looking yourself over from head to toe, the most common skin cancer is basal cell skin cancer. And that's usually a reddish pearly area. Sometimes it'll bleed. It comes up in sun exposed areas typically. And you may have red area on your forehead that pops up doesn't want to heal, it bleeds occasionally. And then those are the times to to go see your dermatologist and say, hey, what do you think about this? So you could go in between that yearly exam and say, okay, you know, I know I just saw you six months ago for my full skin check, but I have this spot that's on my forehead that's bleeding, or maybe it's a mole that was changing. So those are the things to look for. So basal cells are the red pearly areas that want to bleed, sun-exposed areas. You also have something called squamous cell skin cancers, which are sort of crusty, thick in the areas of skin. And those squamous cells, second most common type of skin cancer, they usually stay localized, with the exception of some areas like the lip. They can metastasize and be deadly in the groin area or perianally. They could come up, and they could definitely be deadly in those areas. And then melanoma, which out of the three most common types of skin cancers, that would be number three. Those are the funny-looking moles or moles that are changing, and those you definitely want to catch early. So getting in the right habits, risk assessment. Some people that we have come in and they say, my mom had a melanoma, my dad had a melanoma, my brother had a melanoma, my sister had a melanoma. So right away, you know that person's high risk. And anything that looks the slightest bit funny pays the biopsy. Biopsies are simple. We just look at a spot. If it looks funny or unusual, if it looks suspicious to us, we numb it up with a little bit of lidocaine. We take a little of the top of it off or sometimes scoop out the lesion itself. So we'll scoop it off, we'll send it into a pathologist who looks at underneath the microscope, and then they'll determine if it's a skin cancer or not.
2: Yeah. So Jonathan, actually, that is, that's a very great point. Now, skin cancers are very common, right? So right. there's basal cell cancer, there is squamous cell cancer. But as, as you mentioned, some people argue basal cells shouldn't even be called cancer because they don't Kill anybody? They don't metastasize, but I also have sent pictures from medical school where people did not have it treated, and then it, it was used to be called a rodent ulcer, right? They, right? Because it just eroded through into the even bone and tissue. So they all need to be treated. But if you have a basal cell cancer, is not the chance of dying from it is, is extremely small. But if you have a melanoma, it could be quite dangerous. So there is definitely a. Difference in prognosis in, the in, in right. the in the three three types. So as I th- I think you answered that beautifully about uh, how uh, what age it looks as though we all we all need to be treated and and we all need to at least be, have it evaluated. One of the issues I have even as a, as a physician when people say, well l- look at your moles and and see if they change. Well, if you have zillions of moles on your body, you know how, how are you going to check all those? So. I know they even at some dermatologists like yourself, they have a screening thing where every time you go in, they know where the moles were and they can compare it. Whereas at home, you're really eyeballing it. And if you've got 50 moles to look at, how do you know which one changed and which one didn't? Right. So how do you suggest we handle that? I know you said check yourself every month. Right, But if you have lots of moles, you might miss one, right?
1: It's possible. So I'd I'd say the biggest thing is if you get in a habit from a young age and you're checking your moles just once a month, we don't like you to do it more frequent because if you're doing it too frequent, if you do it every day, you won't notice the change. But once a month, if you're looking over all your moles and you're looking yourself over and you have someone else looking wherever you can't see – if something starts to change, it's probably going to jump out at you and you're probably going to notice it. So that's, that's the biggest thing. Now, if someone randomly looks once every three years, you may not be noticing it because you're not in that habit. And it's the same way with breast exams where we don't expect patients to be able to diagnose breast cancer. But if once a month someone's feeling their breasts and all of a sudden they notice a lump in it, then at least it's going to spur them on to go ahead and be examined by a physician.
2: So uh, Jonathan, brings me up to another point. Number one, we also know that if you have a mole and all of a sudden it disappears, that could be melanoma as well, right? Right. Uh, so that's kind of worrisome. That. So don't, don't be excited if your moles disappear because that might not be a good thing. Uh, the second question I had, which I don't know what the answer is. you know, not everybody's got an iPhone and we're all taking a lot of selfies. Do you suggest we take s- selfies of our own moles? keep it and just look at it, maybe that would be a it, way it, of doing it.
1: It right. is worthwhile and some people that are at higher risk do full body photographs mm-hmm. so they could compare on a monthly basis and see if any of the moles are changing. So that that's definitely a, a worthwhile uh, sort of thing to consider if you're at any sort of high risk.
2: So the only thing I've got to say that with the, most of these uh, images, they can be cloud-based so make sure you're not naked.
1: In the <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Break keep it up into, into, into separate <laughs> I'm sorry we are friends. <laughs> so i, I, I had to throw that in i uh, got <laughs>
0: yeah. your not safe for work
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't you hate when you're exploring the cloud and you find yourself uh, <laughs> so, standing there <laughs> so <laughs> uh, amy
2: uh you are I was uh, you're, you're absolutely amazing in that uh, knowing the whole concept of you know how medicine works and you asked some amazing questions which has always made me think so from from a patient's perspective what questions would you have for dr crane
0: I think you've asked some really great ones Already, Dr. Cameron, that, that, that I actually have myself. I'm, I'm quite freckly, um, and I also have fair skin and blue eyes. So uh, naturally, <laughs> I guess that kind of puts me in a higher risk category. Um, but you know that that genetic component you mentioned. And this is one Dr. Cameron talks about very often when it comes to vein disease. It's a real genetic component when it comes to vein disease, also with skin cancer as well. So, you know, when it comes to that, if, if people have family members, very close family members who have had skin cancer, do you recommend them getting screenings earlier?
1: Definitely. 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 Yeah, and you talk about, I guess, uh, vein disease, skin cancer, and diarrhea. All three of those things have a lot in common. It runs in your genes.
0: <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, but uh, definitely people with higher risk and strong family genetics have to be checked on a more regular basis. And then the treatment of it, uh, sometimes it's not that big a deal, especially when you catch things early. An early basal cell or superficial basal cell skin cancer, sometimes we could just numb it up and lightly burn it with an electrocautery and scrape it and get rid of it. We call that electrodesiccation and curatage. You could sometimes treat it with a mild acid on it. There are creams that you could use to treat basal cell skin cancers. So it doesn't always mean surgery if, if it's deeper, more aggressive yes, then we might have to do surgery. A squamous cell the same sort of thing. If it's very superficial, early, again, we could sometimes numb it up, scrape it, use an electrocordery and uh, ED and see it. Uh, so we don't always have to cut it out. Melanomas, we typically have to cut out because uh, they're a lot more dangerous. Or if it's an aggressive basal cell or an aggressive squamous cell, then you have to cut them out. But the biggest thing is patients shouldn't be afraid of of a skin cancer diagnosis, and especially when you catch it early, really no big deal at all. And if, if you said, what percentage of our skin cancers are curable, I'd say probably over 99%. So could you imagine 99% of the people walking into the office with the cancer, it's going to be curable. Oh, wow. uh, so that that's awesome that the odds are that good. So fear shouldn't be there. The patients who end up in trouble in general are patients who've been neglecting their skin cancers and neglecting the skin cancer screenings. There's always an exception to the rule, but those exceptions are extremely, extremely, extremely rare. So in, in general, the patients who follow up, who do their monthly home checks, who come in when they see something changing, who are going for their yearly skin cancer screenings, the skin cancer caught early and treated very simply.
0: And, you know, I, I think that's such an important piece to really, for our audience to keep in mind is, you know, a, a lot of us have this thing where we're just like, oh, we don't want to overcomplain, We don't want to overdo the checks. I'm probably worried for nothing, but really, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry with something that can be so curable, but so deadly if you don't just get it
1: checked. Definitely. Definitely.
2: Jonathan, I've heard some of your lectures where you were really concerned about the tanning beds and uh, also, of course, you know sun exposure. And we also know that uh, sun exposure doesn't only give you skin cancer. It also, I believe, speeds up the process of aging of the skin, doesn't it? Definitely. Uh, so, uh, of course, if you smoke, that also affects it. So, Definitely. So um, the... Other issue uh, that I was talking to a family a practitioner, a friend of mine, who felt that because people are avoiding the sun, they're getting vitamin D deficient, and that's decreasing their immunity and making them more prone to getting coronavirus and get cancer. So how would you recommend we handle this? On one side, we got sun, which makes you age, which makes you get skin cancer. On the other side, we're getting vitamin D deficiency.
1: Do you suggest just taking vitamin D pills? or That's really the best answer. I mean, thank God that they have invented vitamin D where you could just go ahead and take a pill for it. So the argument that you'd have to go out in the sun ended years and years ago when they came out with uh, vitamin D tablets. So I I guess the biggest thing is I I personally take a vitamin D every day um, and I take a multivitamin every day. And I'd say it's probably worthwhile to when you see your family practitioner to say, what's my vitamin D level? And so many times the family practitioners are checking the vitamin D levels anyway. If it's low, then supplement with vitamin D. If you have a high level, then maybe you don't have to be as concerned about it. So I I tell people, if you're normal, don't get too concerned about being better than normal, because better than normal isn't always good. You know, we, we like to see our levels within a normal range. And if too high could be bad, too low could be bad. So try to keep it within within the lane pretty much. So
2: have, have your level checked. It can, it can actually be measurable, right?
1: That's it. That's the best way. And take uh, pills,
2: don't go for sun exposure. I remember roughly about 20 years ago, they started talking about vitamin D. And I'm like, gosh, you know, there's probably some companies trying to sell vitamin D. But now over time, you realize how important it was. And of course, Uh, Your body defense system is the most important thing, whether you're fighting uh, coronavirus or you're fighting cancer. And as your immunity goes down, uh, then obviously it does affect how you can fight infection. And we all know when the president was recently got infected by coronavirus, one of the things they gave him was vitamin D. Uh, just go to show. And these are some of the top doctors in the world It goes to show how important vitamin D is. So the message I'm getting is avoid the sun and just get your vitamin D in the form of a pill and
1: just make sure you get the blood checked. That's it exactly. That's the best way to approach it. That's how I personally approach it
2: well uh Jonathan, I'm really extremely thankful for you to be kind enough to join us on this podcast. Uh, this is uh, as i I call it, giving back to the community uh, some of the knowledge that uh, you know we have obtained over very many years
1: of being in practice. I really appreciate, and i want to also say thank you because uh E- education is really the key to success for our patients we're both uh, humble enough to admit that we're educated all along the way and we keep on learning every step of the way and I've personally learned a lot from dr Cameron and and I really you know thank God that I've learned so much from him about vein disease because in the past it's, it's amazing the ignorance uh, that I personally had and I think a lot of the medical community had. So I don't think I was alone in my ignorance as far as vein disease of the legs. And it only makes sense that you have to have good circulation if if you want things to heal well. So uh, I've learned a lot. We both continue learning all along the way. And I think for the listening audience, the more they could learn also, the the better it helps them with their personal health care.
0: Dr. Crane, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've got a very busy schedule, but we, we really appreciate you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to another episode of Nice Living with Dr. Cameron. We look forward to having Dr. Jonathan Crane of Atlantic Dermatology on the show again in the future. If you have any questions for Dr. Crane or Dr. Cameron or topics you'd like for us to cover, don't forget, you can send us an email. Just head to scarlessveincare.com. Again, that's scarlessveincare.com. That's where you can find the latest podcast episodes. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. Just search for Nice Living with Dr. Cameron podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now also Amazon Audible. Until next time, I'm Amy Bowen.
2: I'm Dr. Capron.
0: And we wish you good health, happiness, and nice living in the meantime. We'll be back soon.